Welcome to Booked, where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Livia Snedden. This week's review, The Shining Girls by Lauren Bukis. Um, we've been looking forward to this one for uh, for quite some time now. Yeah, since we chatted with Chuck Wendig a long time ago, when Wendig Month. Yeah, during Wendig Month. <laughs> um, actually, on Facebook the other day, he had said that this was like his favorite book of this year so far, so that's pretty high praise. I wonder. I wonder if we'll think that highly of it. Yeah, let's see how we line up with Mr. Wendig. All right, first a little bit about Ms. Bukis. Lauren Bukis is the author of the acclaimed novels Moxieland and Zoo City. She is a recipient of the Arthur C. Clarke Award, finished runner-up to Lev Grossman for the John W. Campbell Award, and was shortlisted for a plethora of other awards and received rave reviews from around the world, including the New York Times and The Guardian. She lives in Cape Town, South Africa, with her husband and her daughter. All right. We know some South African people, don't we? We know a South African person. Nick Young, right? He was in Nick uh, Young, yes. Good old Warmed and Bound. Mm-hmm. And in Chicago and St. Louis with us. Yeah, the guy's all over the place. And, well, we did review Roger Smith's Dust Devils. He's a South African author. I have to assume all three of those people know each other, right? They must just hang out and talk about us, probably, if you think about it. Yeah, exactly, because we're from the United States. And, you know. <laughs> and that's, yeah. Yeah. all anybody cares about mm-hmm. uh so but it's our turn to talk about them a little bit and um here's the synopsis of the shining girls that we pulled from amazon the girl who wouldn't die hunts the killer who shouldn't exist harper curtis is a killer who stepped out of the past kirby masrachi is that how you would say that i would say masrachi masrachi you know, yeah. i like that better Kirby Masraki is the girl who was never meant to have a future. Kirby is the last shining girl, one of the bright young women burning with potential, whose lives Harper is destined to snuff out after he stumbles on a house in Depression-era Chicago that opens on to other times. At the urging of the house, Harper inserts himself into the lives of the shining girls, waiting for the perfect moment to strike. He is the ultimate hunter, vanishing into another time after each murder, untraceable until one of his victims survives. Determined to bring her would-be killer to justice, Kirby joins the Chicago Sun-Times to work with the ex-homicide reporter Dan Velasquez, who covered her case. Soon, Kirby finds herself closing in on the impossible truth. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> um, can I just say that Whenever I'm determined to bring a would-be killer to justice, I do not join a newspaper. <laughs> I was thinking about that uh, before we got on this call, and it's like, you know, there are police, but um, investigative skills, big thing for journalists, so it kind of makes sense. That's true. That's and, very and, true. And if the police never caught the person, you might have a level of distrust for them. Well, as all people should have a level of distrust, just ask David James Keaton. Yeah. Well, he yeah. Well, I think his goes beyond distrust, and beyond police officers. <laughs> what did ambulance drivers ever do to you, David James Keaton? <laughs> uh. All right. So, uh, synopsis. Uh, very good synopsis. I think. I think it's probably a little longer than it needed to be, but I think it hits all the right points. And um, you know, it does what a synopsis is supposed to do: give you an idea of what the story is about. And I don't think it embellishes or makes it any more or any less what it is. I think it's pretty spot on. Cool, yeah, um, yeah. That's the framework of the story. Uh, the, the one of the more interesting things in this book is the characters, um, especially the two main ones, Harper Curtis and Kirby Masraki. Um, Harper Curtis, uh, his story is essentially that uh, he's a serial killer, 
and um, he we meet him in the Depression era uh, Chicago that's mentioned in the synopsis, and essentially he's uh, being chased or hunted by some people. And anyway, there's this series of, of events that leads him to a random house, um, uh, just totally by coincidence, and. But he, it's, it's kind of strange because the book describes it as he's almost kind of drawn to it. Like he feels drawn to go in a certain path and everything. Um, but eventually the the idea is that uh, um, the house has some sort of magical properties that allow him to, uh, under the right circumstances, travel to different times within uh, Chicago's history. And uh, that's when uh, things get really kind of freaky. Yeah, so fast forward 60 years to our protagonist, Kirby, um, who <laughs> is, uh, the book kind of plays with time, so it's a little tough, but Kirby basically is in, you know, in her early 20s, I would say, early to mid-20s, and uh, she is the, the you know, victim of an attack, and, and we pick up with her a few years later as she's trying to get on with her life and stuff, but um, she was once famous for being a girl who, who should have died, who had all the right injuries to die and then didn't. Not that this is a, a, a magical thing. I mean, we talk about time travel and that type of thing. She just was an unlikely survivor of an attack. But um, she thinks there might be something more to her attack based on the fact the killer was never caught. Yep. So, um, and again, there's more characters in this, but like uh, her, not, I wouldn't say it's, it's obsession level at the beginning of the book, but her need to figure out what happened to her leads her to uh this intern job at the sun times where she meets up with the uh dan velasquez who uh, in the synopsis they said he was the person who covered her story um and uh at, at, when she meets up with him he is actually a sports reporter because he got burned out on homicides and uh I mean, obviously because it's a story and these things all tie together it was around the time of her case that he kind of burnt out on covering homicides uh, and violent crimes and stuff. So she pairs up with him uh, as his intern and uses the resources and, uh, and, and the whole reporter aspect to try and dig into uh, what really happened in her case and then see where she can go from there. So I want to explain that in the, during the course of this book, and you pretty much learned this you know, pretty early on, you know, if you're an astute reader, is that there's really not going to be a whole lot of spoilers. This guy killed a bunch of girls, and, and we know this because we jumped from 1930-something to 1990-something and already have that. We're already armed with that information, so anything up until that point has already occurred, has already happened. Um, so what we get is kind of Kirby moving forward through time in her, you know, for the most part, moving forward in time through her, you know, her investigation. But then we're going back to 1933 and sort of moving forward through Harper's, through Harper's eyes and the things that he's done. So yeah, every single chapter takes place, not just, you know, a different time, but like a different decade. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, as it introduces, so, um, the book kind of splits, I want, I won't say 50, 50, but splits between, um, the story of, Harper and Kirby and how their their lives revolve around each other and then Harper and his other victims and yeah that jumps around like there's some in the tw I think this is the earliest it was like in the 20s right uh, the 30s okay and uh, then like in the 40s 50s you know the 70s so there's um, 
yeah, he goes all over time in Chicago to uh, meet up with uh, the girls that will eventually become his victims. And uh, as it's, I mean, the title of the book is The Shining Girls. Essentially, he sees something, some quality of these girls that like, like think it's, I mean, it's essentially supposed to be like they're actually physically shining to him, right? They've got some sort yes. of glow, mm-hmm. glow to them, yeah. Yeah, he can see them, or he feels like he can see them, and they stand out to him from far distances because of that kind of glow that they put off. And um, the glow is not just a beacon for him, but it's how he kind of feels about them, that there's something special about them. Uh, through the eyes of the reader, um, we're never really shown what that special thing is. And did you get that feeling? Right. It was just, yeah, through his eyes that we saw. That like there was no nothing intrinsic to the person that would have made it that would have been a tip off to us as readers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, I don't know. Pretty much anything else, we're going to get into spoiler territory if we go into into story. Um, I will say that it's kind of interesting that we're reading a book that's based um, you know a few years ago. So that the technology of today isn't um, isn't available for right. the characters, yeah. which. Just an interesting choice. I mean, I always kind of wonder. It didn't really need to be the '90s. The the today didn't have to be the '90s at all. Right. So I guess I don't know what makes somebody choose. Like, would that story have been any different if it was if if the today was 2013? I mean, can you think of anything that would have been other than searching through microfiche versus just googling some stuff? Well, I mean, to me, the whole aspect of working for a newspaper today is radically different than it was you know in the early 90s there was actually like i wouldn't say there was still in their hate well actually they probably were like probably at the height of power or like you know mm-hmm. still um a variance i mean people paid for classified ads they didn't have craigslist so like there was a lot of things that still made the newspaper very vital to daily existence that would not be the case today. So I think that's one of the big things since it's so focused on, on the newspaper, it had to be, you know, when newspapers were still more relevant. That's a very good point that you bring up. I didn't really think about that for, for being the reason I will say that in the sun times just fire all their photographers and they're making their reporters (laughs) like take classes on how to take pictures with iPhones. And that just happened. (laughs) Yeah. Literally just happened. The sun. Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of a big deal, but that really illustrates the point that like, uh, journalism as we knew it is radically different now than it would have been yeah even 15 years ago dude peter parker is totally out of a job now i know right peter parker that's rough <laughs> anyway back to this story a little bit um <clears throat> we get to see chicago through i don't know maybe eight different time periods that's on right to you seven eight different time periods something like that yeah which all feel very very genuine um but in a weird way, because as genuine as they are, we've got this guy from the 1930s who his personality is totally stuck as that guy from the 1930s. Right. <laughs> um, existing in these different, uh, these little vignettes uh, throughout the last you know, 60 years. And, uh, you know, he, he's not really handicapped by that because at that point he travels to him enough that, you know, he's able to get around and do some things. And he's not, you know, he doesn't like you know, see the L train and run screaming from it, thinking it's a dragon or anything like that. You know, I mean, he, he kind of exists pretty easily in these, in these different time frames. but I thought it was a nice touch to see Chicago uh, being from Chicago through the last 60 years. Yeah, that's definitely one thing. And like, we're getting a lot of it recently, if you think about it, cause we just did that book penance as well by Dan O'Shea. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But um, yeah, that was one of the things I enjoyed. Uh, it took me back a little bit to reading that Devil in the White City book by Eric Larson. Mm-hmm. Um, just like seeing really anything in a historical perspective, um, but specifically your hometown, it definitely has kind of it. It just has a nice effect on 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 you as you're reading something. So that yeah, was awesome. It's interesting that you mentioned that because don't Harper and, and, and somebody else actually attend the World's Fair that um, Devil in a White City took place at? Yeah, actually, as a matter of fact, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I thought it was funny because Harper, um, <laughs> I know where you're going with that. It's not what I was thinking, but I see where you're going with that. Is he the killer? Is, is he the guy? No, but I was thinking, like, wouldn't it be interesting if there was some sort of, like, bumping into or something? Mm-hmm. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. The best part about that is how bored Harper was with all those things because he'd seen all the way to 1993 or whatever it is. <laughs> right. <laughs> and he's there and he's like, meh, this is boring. I just want to go cut some girls up. Yeah, that was interesting too because like we had the opportunity to see him react to certain technological advances and mo- and he was more disgusted or underwhelmed than anything. Mm-hmm. Whereas most people you would think would just be, you know overwhelmed with like you know awe um one of the things i really liked about harper is that a lot of times when you have a serial killer in the book you spend so much time inside the mind of the serial killer and his reason for doing all this and you know what he's just like this really down-to-earth guy if a little bit maybe socially awkward but (laughs) you know what i mean he's not this this demon that we have to find out these reasons for why he's doing you know i mean and it's Mm. it's so overdone and in you know, in horror movies or, or thrillers or whatever you want to call them, serial killers. And even in the fiction is the constant every time he's with, you know, a victim that you get that, that what's the reason, you know, because he hated his mother, because his wife left him, whatever. It, it's, it's just kind of like, this is what I got to do. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's as simple as that. He knows who he, he knows who's his, his victims are going to be. And he knows that once he has an idea of who it is, that he must follow through with killing them at some point. Um, but beyond that, I mean, that's really the only compulsion he has. Otherwise, he, you know, he he acts like a yeah, as normal a person as I guess a psycho killer could be. And I don't want to quite change the topic off off characters because I think we should talk a little bit about Kirby. Um, but almost a third character main character in the book are, are the objects and I don't think we touched on any of this um, Harper ties all of these these murders together with objects so he will visit and hopefully this isn't too spoilery but I think this is something that that, that was you know done really well in the book he, he will visit a a shining girl when she's young and, and basically leave her with something you know uh, uh, just a little little object nothing you know real special but then basically he, he does his best to kind of collect that object later <laughs> and leave something in its place. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like in his weird little warped mind how he ties these things together. Yeah, it's like his version of a trophy. Um, and it and that that's awesome because it plays so well on the, the time travel aspect of things. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, I mean, if you think about it, how creepy it... All right, so like... Essentially, like, it's a dude who all innocently and charmingly will say something to a girl when she's little. You know, just offhandedly, like, you know, 
uh, I'll see you again or I'll be back or mm-hmm. I'll visit you again or something like that on the surface maybe a little creepy but overall you know n- no warning no flares will be going up or anything right and then like with the full intention of later coming to just like murder the shit out of them it's crazy how creepy that is it is I said I thought it was one of the best parts of the book the way he um, refers to it and I wish I would have uh, I know, jotted this down because I read this in paper version but um he refers to the the gifts and stuff like the constellation of, oh, of the yeah. shining girls and how, how he ties them all together, which I thought was just just utterly fantastic. Yeah. Um, but back to actual kind of you know characters without Kirby. Um, Kirby is a very very feisty um, kind of you know foul mouthed smart ass you know girl who probably is you know somewhat of a defense mechanism having been nearly hacked to pieces and then having to live with people staring at just horrible scarring on her neck. Um, you know, for a period of time around her attack, I'm sure everybody in all of Chicago knew who she was, mm-hmm. you know, being big news that this young girl was attacked. Um, what did you think of her as a character? Um, good. And, um, another part of the groundwork is that her mother, Rachel, who's another kind of interspersed character was very flighty and, um, trying to think of a way i mean like you're t- into drugs and stuff while her you know while kirby was a child but also um taking herself very seriously as an artist even though she doesn't really like ever produce art like that type of person um so essentially the type of parent that is so hands-off that kirby had to grow up to be very independent and very like um self-supporting which is uh, a major part of Kirby as a character. She's very strong and determined and uh, um, strong, uh, strong-willed, I guess. Uh, but then, yeah, I think because of the, the shit that she's gone through, she's got a very sarcastic and you know defense that she puts up to people. Um, so, yeah, I mean, really well-formed character. Yeah, I think so. The only other character worth mentioning, and only because he's throughout the book, is uh, Velasquez, the... Um reporter that Kirby is out with who develops this weird kind of like paternal slash wants to date Kirby <laughs> relationship. He's considerably older. I mean, I'm guessing, I don't know if they ever said it, he's like in his late forties or early fifties, right? Uh, yeah. Mm, so he's got to be, well, yeah, he's, I, I pictured him at least like a decade older than her at least. Yeah. So yeah, he's, uh, he's, you know, Kind of wants to protect her and help her out and steer her in the right direction. But then on the flip side, he wouldn't mind hooking up with her either. Yeah. So it's kind of a little weird. But, um, you know, he's the only other character worth mentioning. And like I said, he's basically, in most cases, just a source for information. I, I don't find him to be a central character to the story at all. No. Yeah, I mean, like, he's essential in as much as, like, yeah. he Yeah, yeah that Kirby yeah. needs to talk to somebody. Yeah. So we can get some of the, the thoughts out of her head, you right. know, and ours. So. But he's more of a device than a character. Yep. And then there's the house. Yeah, the house. See, I don't want to get too spoilery, but I have some some issues <laughs> with 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 some of this stuff. And I I don't know. Maybe we should talk some more, and I'll decide if I want to share them. I'm going to get a little spoilery towards the end of this. So if you're really looking forward to reading, I, mean, I promise not to be crazy spoilery. But I do have some issues that I'd like to talk about. Cool. But yeah, as far as story goes, there's not much more. I mean, because it's one of those, like, intricate puzzles. And as you, you know, go through the book, that's the real payoff is 
seeing how things tie together, seeing how an action here affects an action over there, or an outcome over there, that type of thing. So there's really not a lot more we can talk about. Nope. The writing is solid. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you know, for sure. It, it, it's it's solid in, in, in a very straightforward way. So I don't think that, that Lauren um, really was trying to dress this up as really serious literary stuff. I think she tells a pretty straightforward story and does it in a, in a you know eloquent enough way um, that it's certainly, you know, she's no Dan Brown, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, God. Well, but, you know, I'm saying, I mean, it, it, it's not super simple, basic writing, but it's not, like, overly done. Like, mm-hmm. I could see this having been, um, I don't know, Cassina trying too hard with this story, and it, it and she didn't. Mm-hmm. It, it just it flows really nicely. Yeah, and her history. All right, can we touch on the fact that it's, like, very historically driven, but she's not from Chicago? <clears throat> That's kind of a big thing for me, at least. Oh, yeah, I agree. I, I didn't know she was from South Africa until after we read the book. I was like, why the hell did she put this in Chicago? Oh. Yeah, but um, from the back of the book, she does her thanks and acknowledgments and everything, and there's a laundry list of people that she thanks for her helping her research Chicago, Chicago historically in different periods and how, you know, different industries and, you know, uh, the entertainment and prohibition and everything tied together. It was, uh, yeah. I mean, based on her thanks, she must've done a really huge amount of, of research and it really comes through because I mean, uh, it's really spot on. Dude, we've lived here our whole lives. We wouldn't have that much stuff like in the book about <laughs> Chicago. Seriously. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so. Exactly. Very impressive. It's like anything else, you know, I think we talk about people who are from, you know, from foreign lands to us. I think they just work harder at it. Yeah. Yeah. That's so. true. But yeah, good job to her on all the Chicago stuff. I, I learned things about Chicago and I've lived in this area my entire life. That's right. All right. Before we get to the wrap up, so I want to, I want to address a couple of things. First of all, I think from a time travel stand, standpoint, I think she did a really good job because it wasn't really overdone and there weren't a ton of like paradoxes that happen and the kind of things that are addressed in a time travel story. Would you agree? Yes, she handled it the way I like time travel stories to be handled. Mm-hmm. Now, as in any good time travel story, there is a portion or a part where, where you know, there, there are some mechanics involved in the time travel that, that do some really interesting things. So totally kudos there um, to her. And I'm not going to describe what it is because I think it'd be a little too spoilery. But um, there is a part where the time travel becomes a very, very central piece to the story. Uh, you know, other than the fact that he has to do this to kill the girls, <laughs> you know, we kind of get that. <laughs> My biggest issue comes in, and again, I, I don't think this is going to spoil the story for anybody, but I don't feel like we got enough of an explanation, you know, about the house, why it exists, um, you know, why Harper's kind of doing. We know he's drawn to these girls, but I, I, I never really got, I never felt satisfied that there was enough there to answer some of the questions I had throughout the book. Hmm. That's, I mean, having read the book, I know what you're saying. I know what you're referring to, Mm -hmm. but for me, to be honest, like I didn't really feel too unfulfilled with that. And I think the reason for me at least is, uh, I thought Lauren did a great job of making it not a time travel story as much as a, you know, a Kirby story or, you know, a Harper story. And because of that, um, 
didn't really care so much about the mechanics of it or you know the questions that were left unanswered that's fair but i mean yeah i can i absolutely <laughs> i can 100 percent understand what you're saying and why you would say it but uh for me i was just cool with it i was i was happy to go along for the ride and in there not it's not that i always feel that way like i want everything drawn out for me i mean there are plenty of stories where i'm very very happy uh you know the 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 counterpoint to that would be like the blair witch project the movie mm-hmm. like i was totally okay with how that ended spoiler alert you know we never really see the 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 witch if there's a witch or what it, you know um it's just in this one i saw i was lacking but no it's fair i just want to get someone else's opinion on it. i actually haven't oddly enough i i meant to but i was so busy with other reading that i didn't go i wanted to read some other reviews and get some other people's take on that particular portion mm-hmm. just didn't didn't get around to it this time can I just say how adorable it is that you just said spoiler alert about a movie that came out in, I think, 1997, 1998? I, I know. I was being kind of facetious. <laughs> it's, it's like, you know, when you talk about, uh, I can't think of what it's called, that Bruce Willis movie where he's dead the entire time. Oh, Sixth Sense. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, you know, yeah, you have to say, like, just in case there's that one person that didn't hear it. Right. Can I tell you um, that... <clears throat> I'm kind of a fan of time travel, you know, films, and, and you know, I'm a huge Doctor Who fan, which is all based on time travel. And um, But of all the books I can think of that I've read that actually dealt with time travel, can I tell you that the best two are by women? Hmm. What's very interesting. So this one. I was going to say, I'm assuming this is one of them. And uh, The Time Traveler's Wife by Audrey, um, I can never get it right, Niffenegger, I think it is, Niffenegger, Niffenegger whatever that one um both of them just excellent excellent time travel stories in in comparison to yeah not that i haven't read other stuff that had time travel that wasn't decent mm-hmm. but both of these handled the time travel aspect kind of like you said is a little less about time travel a little more about the, it's, it's like a great zombie story it's not about the zombies right yeah yeah that kind of thing so. right right exactly and and i think that's key to a good time travel story is that the time travel is incidental to what the effect of the time travel is Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you ready to wrap this up? All right. Before we go into quotes or wrap ups or anything, I just wanted to say one more thing about the story, and I'm going to be intentionally vague because it's definitely a spoilery moment. It's it's like it fundamentally it hinges on the whole like shift of like the twist of the reveal and all that stuff. So I'm not going to say what it is, but there was a part in the book, definitely toward the end, where it's like the twist when you kind of a couple things click together in your mind based on what is just revealed literally chills and this doesn't happen to me very often but like it was just such a well-crafted moment that i was literally like like shuddering with like the whole revelation of it it was so good i have to agree i think that was truly a a good a great moment in a book and, and probably one of the more memorable parts and if you're talking about just individual parts uh, Love Harper as a character, and, and he's very going to be very memorable to me, I think. But for an individual scene in a book, I thought that was very good, too. Yeah, it was just awesome. Um, but, yeah, uh, I'm ready to, to do... I don't really have... I don't really... I can't say that I have quotes, but I have a couple of things from the book that I'd like to bring up before we go into uh, wrap-ups. Did you have quotes at all? You know, I think I have two. Cool. And one of them I thought was great because it's a, it's a person talking about losing... It's odd I say that because the paragraph before that addresses it's about losing their child. And uh, I'm going to re- now read that little line too. It says, I didn't lose her. The lose is in you know, uh, quotes. 
I lose my house key. She was taken. And then further down, uh, and this is the, the thing that I had actually, you know, marked to, to read here on the show. It's the most terrible thing to hear, but in a way it was also a relief because if you only have one child, you know, you will never get that phone call again. There's someone talking about their, their daughter or son being missing. Yeah. That part, that part got to me too, because like, I mean, if you're talking about loss and those are like just such real responses to, you know, a question that you, you're not expecting an answer to. Mm-hmm. And uh, the other one I have, um, let me see what the content is. Oh, okay, so this is a little longer paragraph, and I really liked the end of this, but I'll, I'll read it just so it all makes sense. I was talking about Dan being kind of, uh, uh, Dan Velasquez being kind of in love with, uh, or, or having a crush on, on, on Kirby. It's completely inappropriate. He's too jaded. She's too young. They're both too fucked up. He's confusing sympathy with infatuation. If he waits it out, it will numb itself. It will go away. He just has to be patient and avoid being a reckless idiot. Time heals. Crushes let up. Splinters work their way out. Doesn't mean they don't leave scars the ditch. Yeah. You know what? I don't really think I recognize that in the moment, but that's definitely a good quote. That's all I've got, stupid paper book. All right. I got a couple things that aren't quotes, but I mean, I'm going to quote stuff, but they're not intended as quotes. It's not an example of like exemplary writing styles one thing the word obstreperous do you remember obstreperous livius from a previous episode i do do you remember what book it was for no the casual vacancy by jk rowling and it was just so unfortunate in that book that i brought (laughs) attention to it and um it comes up in this one and i saw obstreperous and i was like you've got to be kidding me so um i highlighted it and uh, did a little research on it. And it turns out <laughs> I had a I had a theory that was con- that was confirmed by some very surface level uh, internet Google uh, researching. It's one of the top one hundred difficult SAT words. So here's what I think happened. I think that you got a couple authors who were like, you know what, I did all this studying and memorizing or whatever when I took the SATs and I have to put it to use at some point in my career and obstreperous is the word that you know I, I it's just it's such a ridiculous you know word dude I have another theory yeah. so small small children really enjoy it when they can get adults to do things for them and that's one of the reasons they cry even when they don't you know what i mean yeah. it's it's that they can cause someone to actually do something and in some cases i think the writer's just like oh, i'm gonna make somebody pick up a dictionary mm, that's actually a good theory maybe they're just yeah. like yeah i'm gonna this is the word this mm-hmm. is the word i'm gonna make everybody look up one other quick thing it's also actually writer related there's a line in there that i <laughs> and livius you'll understand this the moment i read it uh that i just couldn't resist talking about in the episode all right, shut up. We need to talk about your enthusiasm for commas. You can't stick them anywhere you like. <laughs> <laughs> now, for anybody who's listened to any of the last, like, I don't know, 50 episodes, uh, we are actually right on the verge of having a published book, uh, which is a collection of short stories by 25 authors that have been guests on our podcast. And in the process of editing that book, commas have become such a point of contention and conversation that... uh yeah, 
any any kind of mention of commas and comma use is like just hilarious. I I did think the exact same thing when I read that. Yeah, anybody who's uh, had any experience as an editor of anything in any capacity will understand why commas are just so contentious and ridiculous. Maybe they're a little obstreperous. <laughs> Bam. There it is. There it is. <laughs> there it is. You uh, you ready to wrap this up? Um, actually, obstreperous means noisy and difficult to control, so that's like ridiculously appropriate. But anyway, yes. Uh, why don't you do the wrap up first? All right. Um, you know, this book came highly recommended, so I had expectations that that, that were pretty high. You know, I and mean, we have a variety of ways that we we pick books nowadays, and sometimes it's just that you know. Um, Goodreads tells me something by an author I previously read is coming out this month or whatever. So we talk about it and we agree to do it. So this game highly recommended from Chuck Wendig. Um, he has called it a book of the year. Um, great concept. I mean, what, what a, I think, wholly original concept, a serial killer who time travels and therefore it's very, very difficult to, to find him. Um, you've got a, a person trying to figure all these things out in 1990-something while this is going on in the previous 60 years. Also very, very interesting. Um, a great, great um, antagonist in, in Harper Curtis. Like I said, I think he's going to be a very memorable character for me um, just because of how not crazy a serial killer he was, if that makes sense. Just kind of very matter-of-factly. These are some things he had to do. Uh Overall, the time travel stuff wasn't overdone, and in parts where where it, it really needed to be, you know, a little more hardcore, I think that that was pulled off really, really well. Um, like I said, you know, I've I've read uh, quite a few books that involve time travel, um, but definitely Lauren Bucus, um, you are now in second place next to Audrey Neffinger, or whatever her name was. Um, so I'm going to give this uh, four stars. Ooh, nice. And you'll be able to pronounce her entire name, which is definitely good. There, there's an extra quarter star in there for that. <laughs> for having a pronounceable name. Mm-hmm. Only because you spelled it B-Y-O-O-K-I-S-S. Because <laughs> other than that, I don't know what I would have called it. That's Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, I did a little... I did, I did my normal surface level of research, and mm-hmm. I think there's an FAQ somewhere on her website where she clarifies how her name is pronounced. <sighs> secrets revealed anyway all right so here's my wrap-up for for the shining girls um yeah like livia said came highly recommended from chuck wendig so uh off the off the bat uh, i had a pretty good idea that it was gonna be a good story um digging into it uh i think it just was just pulled off very nicely there's a lot of stuff in there that we can't talk about and i can't sing the praise of because i don't want to you know we don't we, we don't spoil stuff but um, just a very well-crafted story. I mean, the idea of writing a book that takes place in like six, seven different time periods seems like a lot of work. There's a lot of things that could have gone wrong, and I feel like did not go wrong. Inner, you know, put, using time travel in a book anytime, you know, makes makes for a complicated story as well. So, um, all that was done was crafted very well. Uh, the characters all done very nicely. Kirby is a great um, protagonist style character and Harper creepy as hell the whole visiting the girls when they're young and then later coming back to kill them that's just super crazy creepy 
Um, there was a couple points in there that just like really, really gave me the chills. And um, uh, overall, just great story. I really, really dug this book. So I'm going to go with... I'm going four and a half stars on this one. Very nice. Yeah. Um, can I read you during while you were doing your wrap-up? I did go ahead and um, pull up reviews from Amazon. I, I love there doing are, the Amazon reviews. <laughs> there, there are two one-star reviews. One is from Paul PZ Skibba. I, I don't know. Um, I've read lots of great book during the last few months. Ran into a couple of recommendations for this novel. For me, this book did nothing. That's his review. One that's, star review. There. That's, there's no substance to that <laughs> review. There is none. Um, now the the must this other one by S. Rush says the must ignore book of the summer. And I'm going to go ahead and read you this whole thing. It's it's three paragraphs. I heard the author Lauren Bucus speaking on NPR about the tragedy of girls being murdered and the terrible aftermath for the families. She made it sound as if there was some kind of female power inherent in her novel. It's true that the assumed protagonist, a victim of the story's serial killer, begins to hunt him in order to turn the tables and reclaim her life. However, most of the book is devoted to the depraved killer and features vivid, horrifying descriptions of his kills. Something, by the way, that we didn't talk enough about, because there's some pretty gory crap in there. (laughs) That was not from the review. So no matter what the author claims to have intended, what we have here is a book about killing women, dozens of them in gory detail. Frankly... It's always good when a sentence starts with Frank. <laughs> Frankly, we live in an era in which we have all consumed too many entertainments filled with thousands of female victims who are murdered, raped, beaten, and worse. It's bad enough when men write these kinds of stories, but there is really no excuse for a woman to add to the heaping pile of depravity. Wow, really? One star review that was not helpful to me. I just clicked the not helpful button. <laughs> Dude, seriously, like... First of all, yeah, anybody who starts a sentence with frankly basically mm-hmm. is saying before what they say, they're saying, I'm right and you are wrong, no matter what you mm-hmm. think. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, <sighs> dressing up your distaste for, you know, gory, uh, you know, writing as it being, you know, what, misogynist? That's mm-hmm. just, that's just lazy bullshit. Dude, I'm going to tell you something. If you don't want to read a book about a serial killer who kills women... Yeah. Don't pick up a book that's about a serial killer who kills women. I don't know yeah. how else to say it. Yeah. Frankly, yeah. frankly, <laughs> it's frankly, just not the right yeah, thing frankly. to do. And you know what? Frankly, uh, <laughs> what, what kind of book is it going to be? All right. What kind of gravity or impact is, is a serial killer going to have if you don't describe the manner in which he kills people? Right? Do what she did in a very, very brutal way. And I need to commend her for that. Yeah, she did a wonderful. I mean, like it was. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, if gore is not your thing, frankly, you shouldn't read this book. Um, <laughs> but like this, if he's just like, you know what, uh, you know, like if he cuddled them to sleep and then like you know <laughs> smothered them with a pillow or something, it wouldn't be you know the. Uh, I don't know. You know, dude, what I'm you're to gonna beat that serial killer. You're gonna cuddle him to death. <laughs> The cuddle the cuddler, the cuddler. <laughs> but um, I mean, it wouldn't have the impact. It wouldn't have had the emotion. I mean, it wouldn't have had the emotional impact. It wouldn't have had that. Like you know, yeah. It just wouldn't have been the you know a good story. It would have been ridiculous. 
Um, e Smiley says in the comments for that for that particular um, review. Thank you for this exclamation point. I agree completely exclamation point. I was actually shocked to discover that two thirds of murder victims in the U.S. are male because our culture is so fixated on the female as victim, so over it. Well, all right. So first of all, dudes killing dudes is boring, right? Eh, hmm. I don't know. I was going to go into I mean, a whole thing can about be, how, but like, yeah. there's like an insecurity and there's a power struggle and there's like you know perceived you know yeah there's a lot that goes into the like killing between genders that doesn't exist when it's like a dude versus another dude. Can I just say I'm so happy that you said it's nowhere near as hot. <laughs> but that's not what your reason was for. Yeah. It's not nearly as hot when a guy kills another yeah. guy. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. There's that. That's. I mean, all right. So you got me. That's what I meant. <laughs> gotcha. All right. Are we done with uh with the Shining Girls? Um. Yeah. Yeah. Good because we've got a lot of other stuff we got to cover. Okay, I got one more. Este Landman. <laughs> Sorry, this is a two star one. The other ones, you know, some of the things they comment on were some of the issues that I had, you know. But um, The story did not make sense to me at all. Sometimes I could not figure out where I am in the story. Did not make sense at all and very confusing. Um, I don't know, just based on the way that they wrote that review, I think they have to kind of look inward for that confusion. I don't think it's... <laughs> I mean, a, and, and frankly, it's a time travel story. Dude, it had the date at the beginning of each chapter. Yeah, that's true. And the intended victim, or the actually at least the character that they were following. Right. Yeah. So the point of view that you were that you were looking through. Yes. Exactly. So. I, yeah. Right. I don't know. You could be confused. Anyway. Enough. Very confusing. <laughs> I picked up this book about a time traveling serial killer, and you know what this guy does? He fucking kills girls when traveling through time yeah, like a serial killer. Point in Crazy. Time. Yeah. Uh, do you want to know what's confusing for me? What is the fact that I thought I was going to get to meet Lauren Bucus this weekend and it didn't happen? I know, right? How dare she? How dare she not know that I was thinking of at the last minute going to meet her? If uh, if you are a writer and you're ever in Chicago, I'm going to strongly urge you that you. I probably won't show up, but Rob will. You strongly keep one ticket set aside for uh, for Rob. For yeah, for booked at least. But you yeah. know what? That's the other thing. All right, so Lauren, she was doing a. An event at the Printers Row Lit Fest that was this uh, this past weekend in Chicago, and I went to it as kind of a last minute thing when I realized she was going to be there, um, not knowing, I guess, that uh, the event that she was a part of was sold out, so I wouldn't actually get a chance to see her speak or to to meet her in person. But I went anyway just to kind of mingle and and maybe do a little bit of networking and hang out. But. Um, uh, Whatever. I still had a good time. I met some people. I picked up some books. But here's the thing I was thinking of, Olivia. I'm glad you brought this up. I've been going to a lot more literary events lately than you have. What's going on there? Um, I don't really like going places. Yeah. There's really not a whole lot else to it. <laughs> well, it, it, honestly, um, the last couple. So let's see. You went to Dan O'Shea's thing. I was working. Frank Bill and Frank Bill, I was working, and, and uh, actually, I worked yesterday. 
Um, you know, Printer's Row kind of snuck up on me. Um, I did wind up having um, plans on Saturday, but had I have actually known a couple weeks ago, I probably would have planned to go on Saturday, mm. at least for a few hours. But yeah, I just in that end, I just don't really like going places. Yeah, so I feel like I'm I'm carrying I'm the 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 bulk of our social calendar right now. Um, what are you going to next? Um, actually, Sean Ferguson. So our man Sean Ferguson, he's been a frequent guest. Um, on the show, either as a uh, guest reviewer or an interviewee, or just me whispering his name creepily, um, he's going to be in town. He's in town for a wedding of a friend of his, and so um, yeah, we're going to try and spend some quality time with him while he's around. Yeah, I ain't got time for that. You're going to see? Don't don't even. <laughs> no, of course I am. don't I'm even sorry. pretend I'm like sorry. you're. Gonna <laughs> I had just said how I don't like going places. Yeah, the hell with it. No, yes, yes. Sean Ferguson, very excited. Uh, we haven't seen Sean since March. Is it March? Is that when AWP? Yeah, AWP was in yeah. March. Good Lord. Yep, AWP. And before that, we didn't see him for like a year. Yeah, since AWP in Chicago. Exactly. So very cool that uh, if you're in the Chicagoland area and you're hearing this like before Thursday or Friday, um, you, you may want to see if you can get in and, and uh, see Mr. Ferguson too. I understand he has a very busy, busy calendar while he's here with this wedding. He does. But yeah, that's where I will be seeing. That's the next author I will be um, hanging out with. Big big year for me of hanging out with authors. It is. You're like a little social butterfly. <sighs> yeah. What about you? Um, I I may not be hanging out with as many authors in person as you are, but I have been invited to join um, our friends at This Is Horror. In uh, in reviewing NOS four A two Nosferatu by Joe Hill. Can do you want to reveal my dirty Joe Hill secret? <laughs> oh yeah, I guess I should. <laughs> so not not to detract from the fact that I'm going to be joining sometime this month. Um, the guys from This Is Horror on their podcast talking to Rob the other day about Joe Hill, and I don't remember how it came up. Oh, I said I'd made a comment. Anyway, it was this long dragged out thing, but I said, yeah, I'm going to tell his dad on him. And there's just silence from Rob. And I'm like, and I go, right. I, yeah. I go, you know who his dad is, right? And he goes, no. And I go, it's Stephen King. And he's like, oh, oh yeah, no, I didn't know that. Nope, nope. <sighs> now we know why Joe Hill didn't come on our show. Because I didn't know he was royalty. <laughs> you couldn't be bothered with his family tree. Yeah, apparently not. Yep. So anyway, I apologize. Let's continue talking about your disappearance. Uh, <laughs> so, so I'm very excited. I mean. I realized that we probably brought down the movie IQ level on that show about 40 points when we were on there to, to talk about the, the Rob Zombie film <laughs> that whose name escapes me at this point. Lords of Salem. Lords of Salem. Um, so, but yeah, they're, they're giving, they're giving me another shot to come in and, 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 uh, and try not to make an ass of myself on their show. So I am very, very appreciative of that. That's awesome. Get some of that, uh, UK crowd listening to booked. You're going to, that's yeah. what you're secretly just going on to pimp our podcast, right? Well, yeah, what, what, what else would I go on there for? Good. Hey, as long as we're on the same page. Um, so yeah, I finished Nosferatu today. Um, interesting, kind of some some weird parallels to uh, to uh, the Shining Girls. That I'm not going to talk about. But yeah, I'm sure there will be links available when this goes down. It's going to be in the next couple weeks. Um, but before that, I mentioned this briefly at the um, end of our last episode. So the chaps, chaps is the right term, right? Because that's like it could be blokes the blokes over at this is horror (laughs) have just released um another another 
chat book. Um, this time it's Roadkill by Joseph DeLacy. Um, they just had their, their, their launch party over the weekend just a few days ago. So this is kind of like hot off the presses. Um, and they were nice enough to send us copies. So Rob and I read it and we're going to talk a little bit about it. That's right. Yeah. And I'm glad you didn't say chaps because you done said chat book. So below. Oh, and if I said it, and if I said it in the same sentence, it would be like uh, distance in the distance. Yeah, it would be distance a total Richard distance on this yeah. blunder. <laughs> Sorry, poor Richard Thomas. <laughs> we just were relentless with that guy. But anyway, yeah. So <laughs> read the, read this Roadkill chapbook. Um, I don't know how. I mean, I don't know how much you want to dig into it. Uh, we could tell the basic idea of the story, I guess, right? Yeah, I mean, here's the problem. It's kind of like when we review short stories is we'll probably spend more time talking about it than it would take someone to read it. Yeah. So in order to not give too much away, uh, we're going to kind of give you some highlights and uh, hopefully some reasons why you should um, why you should pick this up. So this takes place in the future, although that's never necessarily really established in, in the course of the book. Um, it, it is definitely either in the future or somewhere else, and there are people, but the people all are kind of in classes, right? A very class yep. type system, a caste system, I guess would be definitely a caste system. It seems yep. like almost like uh, a world after you know, like like the upswing after a post-apocalypse kind of thing, mm-hmm. where yeah, um, society is building back up to what it once was, maybe. Um, but there is definitely a class class system and stuff. That's mm-hmm. how I that's how I felt about it anyway. It's funny to say, I kind of thought of it as like post Mad Max, right? Right, where like sit, like it's starting to become civil again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's how I felt. But there are a bunch of really weird rules, and this story, which which is very very interesting, because I don't know. I'm trying to think if I've ever really read a story where I've spent more time reading the story than the time frame of the story. <laughs> So to say that this story takes place over the course of it's like a hundred seconds, right? Yeah, it's like less. Yeah, it's definitely less than two minutes. And um, what we're seeing is we are basically in a car with a protagonist who is on a race. Um, and, and again, I don't want to say too much, but you know what? Why don't we do this? Let me just read the synopsis and see how much of that that'll take care of for us. Boom. Two vehicles, stripped to the bare essentials, accelerate to 180 miles per hour on a deserted highway. Their journey along this dead straight stretch known as the Final Five will decide the fate of the drivers. Forever. Only 100 seconds separate them from the finish line as they hurtle towards their destiny, dreaming of glory. But this is one highway they've never traveled before, and neither of them knows what they'll find out there. One thing is certain, every road has its obstacles. Yeah, that does it. That does it quite well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, and it's weird because of the pacing and, and it's, it's kind of, it's, even at a hundred seconds, it's kind of broken up into little like chapters or sections, <laughs> which yeah. you would think, but they're timed. They tell you what, you know, how many seconds in you are into this, this trip that they're on. So yeah, I think, uh, you know, kind of post Mad Max death race, uh, 2000, uh, kind of weird, uh, almost, you know, science fiction-y in a way. Yeah. Yep. But um, definitely a thrill ride. And that's what I was going to say. I think that the pacing um, for it being 100 seconds, even though it's, you know, however many, I don't know, it's 40 pages, 35 pages or whatever it is. Um, it, it, it just really keeps you kind of on the edge of your seat because you understand that you're, what you're reading here is at a very, very limited time span. 
edge of your seat. Haha, <laughs> because they're in a car, in a seat. They're sitting in a car. I don't know. Anyway. Um, yeah, and really I think that's the thing that I got out of it was it was almost like post-post-apocalyptic with um, a, definitely a sci-fi type feel to it. Um, and really just kind of, yeah, your adrenaline rush of, of being you know, in a high-speed race kind of situation. But it was, yeah, it was definitely interesting and very unique. I liked it. In a way, it reminded me of uh, way back way back when we first met Axel Tayari and read um, A Light to Star By. Mm. Um, how in a, a short period of time in that he kind of established this whole world. And, and I think that DeLacy kind of does that really, really well through kind of mentioning and, and like hinting at things that just l- l- makes you want to know more. But in the course of, you know, like you said, under two minutes, that's not going to happen. Um, so I thought that that was done really well. Can I read just the first paragraph? Because I really, really like the first paragraph of this. <laughs> Go for it. Sorry. 90 miles per hour, screaming like a creature pushed to the limit of its capacity for pain, like someone burning alive, the Vindicator accelerates. Through its windows, I see the world begin to blur. To either side of the final five, the lush, riotous hedges are already smeared by velocity. Beyond them rolls a sea of elephant grass. I focus dead ahead. Dead ahead. Can I ask you something? Yes. What's the fastest you've ever gone in a car? Um, Probably about 110. Oh, all right. I'm a, I, I, I knew a guy that was absolutely insane with that kind of stuff when we were much younger. Yeah, actually, me too. Um, I think I, well, I wasn't driving, but I was in the passenger seat, but it was my car. I was on a road trip, and we were going through Kansas. And I don't know if you've ever driven through Kansas, but it's the most boring place in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, didn't even realize it. We just looked down at one point, and we're like, holy crap. We're going 110 miles per hour. It's a little freaky. Yeah, I don't think I don't think I've gone much over like 90 myself driving. Yeah, but because uh, you know you get out there and there's places where like the speed limit's now 75, so of course you gotta go like 10 or 15 over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but at any rate, um, you know, I usually do kind of ratings for uh, for for short stories, but I don't know. I I really like this, and I'd actually like to find out more about this world that it takes place in. So if I had to give it a rating, um, I'd, I'd give it five stars. It was a very engaging story. Mm. I think I'm going to buck the system and choose not to give it a rating. Well, there you go. Just to leave people Cause guessing. Because no, nobody can make you do nothing you don't want to do. That's right, and you ambushed me by giving it a rating. I wasn't expecting it, so I'm being def- <laughs> No time defiance. to prepare. No time to prepare. <laughs> um, so, hey, book's coming up on another first I'm pretty sure we've never reviewed two books by a woman in a row. Two books written by women, not by a yes. woman? Well, yes. I'm sorry. Yes, by women. Yeah. Yeah. Up next is Fringe, the Zodiac Paradox by Krista Faust. You know what I'm hoping this has at least one of in this book? Uh, you tell me. A double D, double cross. <laughs> It's so funny because I remember us talking about Double D. Was it Double D, Double Cross? Was that nominated for an award? Is that why we were talking about it? Yeah, Spine Tingler cover. Yeah. How does the woman that writes Double D, Double Cross get picked to write a trilogy of Fringe books? I don't know. Maybe (laughs) from my knowledge of Fringe, there's nobody, no character has Double Ds that I'm aware of. 
Maybe the double D just stood for something else. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I'm, we're reading into it. It's like a litmus yeah. test. Yeah, it was short for like double down. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, we're showing our hand here. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But it's uh, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I've been wanting to. Krista Foss is a name that's been coming up to us like forever. So I'm interested in her as a writer, but also um, as a fan of Fringe, uh, the TV show. Uh, you know, interested to see what a, a, a tie-in book like this sounds like. Maybe it's since like, Amazon just like launched that whole um, fanfic. fanfic thing, we can maybe like tie in with a with a fan fiction story too. How cool would that be? Oh, <laughs> this sounds terrible. I'm totally in. <laughs> totally in. Let's uh, let's get some fan fiction and read and review that. Yeah. Um, so I watched all of Fringe. And I was uh, I was a little late getting through through the last season, um, but man, I was really really sad at the end of Fringe. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's odd. It's not one of those shows I ever thought was like a favorite show of mine or anything. So finally, I was like, yeah, I guess I should catch this last season of Fringe. Blah blah. blah now that it's over and whatever. And and throughout the course of that, I was very very sad. All I'm gonna say is, uh, you know. The only upside to Fringe being over is that Walter Bishop isn't going to break my heart on a weekly basis anymore. There you go. <laughs> so yeah, looking. All right, are we are we done? So I can go back to list. So I can go to listening my my two or three hours of hair bands no. for tonight. Oh, but no, <laughs> that reminds me. Um, I uh, was in re- reviewing last week's episode where we talked about hair bands a lot. I am. I was. I was wrong. There are a couple other songs that I recognize. That I didn't at the time recognize by the title, but now having thought of it more, um, yeah, I do recognize "Rainbow in the Dark," that Dio song. I I definitely in my mind, um, I remember that one. We'll get to that in a second. But the other one was that one thing leads to another, um, which you know, uh, that's an obvious one, and I don't know why I didn't think of it at the time. But I I, I think that was the (laughs) one I was most surprised about. I was like, I'm pretty sure just everybody knows that. But the the rainbow in the dark. Do you want to know why that song is so uh, present in my mind lately? I'd love to. You're gonna love where I know this song from. It was in the movie Bad Teacher. Yeah, that's a good reason to know a Ronnie James Dio classic. That's (laughs) it was when she's getting she's smoking weed in the car, and the girl brings her some cookies. Yeah, good stuff. Dude, this is like, oh yeah, Bohemian Rhapsody. It's the song from Wayne's World and Ted. Or Wayne's World, yeah. <laughs> like, because that's where you should know it from. <laughs> oh, god damn it. <laughs> Bill and Ted, it wasn't in. No, that was Alice Cooper that was yeah, in Bill Alice and Ted. Cooper. Yeah, no, what? Oh. No? Wayne's World too. He was in Wayne's World because he knew was, a lot Did about anything happen in Bill and Ted? <laughs> uh, Primus was in Bill and Ted uh, 2. Can I, can I tell you, I've never seen any of those movies. It's like we don't even know. Like I don't even know why we share a podcast. We're so different. This, this is why because we're so different. Yeah. All right. I know some of you are wondering um, where this week's book news is, and um, I couldn't successfully get it taken off the show as I mentioned last week. But I did manage to bury it all the way at the end, and we know nobody <laughs> listens all the way at the end. It's true. It's true because in the notes that um, <laughs> I was responsible for the notes where book to news comes in. And it's literally like halfway up the page, and Livius just—and I didn't realize it at the time, but very cleverly—just jumped right past that and onto other stuff. So, um, you son of a bitch! 
Skip Papersley, either you become not the best part of this show, or we just keep moving you further and further. Next week, it'll be after the closing music. After. <laughs> well, either way, uh, you ready to roll it now? Yep. This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. Now for the news. Publisher Penguin is starting a book truck. Rather than make books easy to order online at fair prices that ship quickly to your house, they made a truck that you can visit to buy books. Stops include Central Park for the Manhattan Shakespeare in the Park, the ALA Conference in Chicago, Mark Twain's House, and Old Route 66. As of the time of press, the final destination will be the Mojave Desert where the truck will be burned. According to Penguin President Susan Peterson Kennedy, the book burning will, quote, be the official start of the apocalypse as we burn knowledge for the hell of it. In other news, Mario Puzo is in talks to release the 16th Godfather book along with a TV miniseries starring James Vanderbeek as Michael Corleone's great-great-great-great-great-great-grandson, Mike Tron 2087. This sci-fi gangster space opera takes place on planet Mafio X and will show cyborg Mike Tron, space racketeering, space extorting, space cutting off the space head of Space Horse to make a space point. Miniseries will begin on August 15th on Fox. Now for the New York Times bestsellers and fiction recap. The hit by David Baldacci is number five with a bullet. Clive Kessler's taking zero crap with zero hour at number four. Deep in the chart is Deeply Odd by Dan Kuntz at number three. The second spot goes to The Mountains Echoed. The second spot goes to The Mountains Echoed by Khalid Husseini. And finally, Dean Brown is hot, hot, hot on the top, top, top at number one. This has been Book News. I'm Skip Papersley, signing off. All right. That was Skip Papersley with Booked News. Unsuccessful. Livius unsuccessful in pushing him off the show just yet. Uh, what do you think about... I think my favorite part is uh, Penguin Penguin in that book truck. Um, yeah. That... Uh... The concept is not new because I know that at least one of the libraries I had a bookmobile. Yeah. But what it would do is it would go park in front of like big apartment complexes like on Monday night. So like, you know, kids could go out there and get books and then return them to the bookmobile versus, you know, their parents having to take them. So, you know, by concept, that was awesome. Um, Penguin schlepping their wares on a food truck, basically. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Here's the, all right. So inherently, it's just a flawed concept, right? I would think so, since you know there's already a really, really easy way to get books. Right, and what's what's the benefit of this really, really easy way to get books that's uh, that's better than the Penguin book truck? I want to see them. Um, they're they're cheaper, and it's quicker. All right, I was trying to lead no, you. I'm missing something. We're sorry. going in different directions, but. Mm-hmm. It's more than just Penguin books. Oh, yeah. There's that, too, I guess. Penguin is one of many publishers that exist. Yeah. And, um, yeah. This goes back to conversation with Cameron Pierce, I think it was, where, I don't know, I don't read things because a certain press does. I do now more so with smaller presses, but I don't think anybody's like, ooh, this is by Penguin. I need to read this. Yep. So the problem is, if the book you want to read wasn't published by Penguin, it's not on that truck. <laughs> That is, uh, yeah. It's a 27-foot-long book truck. Contains two bookshelves with 96 feet of space. Right. Oh, that's pretty much everything Penguin's ever published, I imagine. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, but it's, uh, 
It does, dude. It, it has like a little pop-up awning. It, it's it's a food truck with books inside of it. <sighs> whatever, Penguin. Penguin gets the big whatever from us. They do have the coolest logo, though, from the like big publishers. It's a picture of a penguin, right? Yeah, it's kind of a cool-looking penguin. Yeah. All right, so, you know, skip papers, I may give them a hard time, but all that dead space, dead horse, dead head, or space horse, space dead, whatever it was at the end, <laughs> that was some really good stuff. It was. Oh, are you going to make up with Skip Papersley? No. No. He still has, um, he, uh, he still has to, you know, either step down his game <laughs> or get bumped further into the show. Wow. Well, he's not going to get much farther than us talking about booked t-shirts. That's true. Hey, if you don't own a book T-shirt, why not? We it can't be easier. Booked uh, oh, basementshirts.com slash booked mm-hmm. anthology shirts, classic book T-shirts. Buy them. Buy them in bulk. Buy them for your mom. Um, yeah, just buy them. They make great gifts. They do. I'm wearing one right now. And if you don't know who you want to give one to, send send one our way. Rob can always use an extra shirt. That's right. There you go. Yep. So, I think we've exhausted our listeners, if not ourselves, right? I'm pretty sure that they were exhausted a long time ago. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so be sure to check back with us uh, on our next episode for The Fringe, The Zodiac Paradox book by Krista Faust. Very much looking forward to that. Buy some booked t-shirts if you're in or around the Chicago slash Naperville area in the next five days. Sean P. Ferguson is holding court. And I'm sure he would be more than happy to meet you. I got nothing else. I just pictured him holding court. It was a good picture. I know, right? He seems kingly. He does. Like, hey, maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe when we see him, we can record a little something for the show with him. Ooh. All right. I'm going to let you do that. <laughs> Until next time, I'm Livius Nedden. And I'm Rob Olson. Keep reading. <laughs> <laughs>